0: Romans chapter 6 today. Thank you, Lord. So there's a word that has been used, uh, I guess, more and more frequently over the past few years to describe certain types of people, to describe certain types of relationships. Uh, If you're scrolling through, I don't know, the Huffington Post or uh, uh, social media or whatever, reading articles, you might come across ways to know if you're in a toxic relationship. That word toxic is a word that that, that we've... uh, started to use a lot more over these past few years. And, and, and maybe there's quizzes you can take to find out if your boss is toxic or your coworkers are toxic or your, your, you know, your, your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend is toxic or whatever, your spouse is toxic. And the basic, if you Google the word toxic, like I did this week, the basic, the first thing that comes up is this definition of poisonous. Toxic means poisonous. The second thing that came up on a Google search is a Britney Spears song called Toxic. And uh, I, I always, when I'm, when I'm thinking about theology, my first question is always, I wonder what Britney Spears thinks about this. You know? And, and, and in those lyrics to that song, Toxic, she says, I'm addicted to you, don't you know that you're toxic? And I love what you do, don't you know that you're toxic? And there's a couple of things there that we can see. Is she's describing a person or a relationship that's dangerous, it's poisonous, it's no good, but yet there's still this pull or this attraction to be with this person. It's poisonous. But I still want it. That's kind of the essence of a toxic relationship. But also notice how she's saying, "I'm addicted to you," but you're the toxic one. Um, interesting how uh, the the other person is the one that's at fault. Um, and so. Uh, the, the, along with this theme of toxicity, uh, if you follow the Babylon Bee, they are, uh, they write Christian satire articles, and, and they wrote an article recently that said God decides to remove all the toxic people from his life. 7.5 billion people died instantly, and, and, and what that's getting at is, is that uh, every human being in some form or fashion um, is toxic. Um, I believe that when, uh, that uh, if we if we really get down to uh, thinking like what are the elements of, of of toxic relationships that that is a real thing there, there are such things as toxic relationships, and maybe you 've been in one before, and um, maybe you 've come from a family where love was called love, but it was really very manipulative and it was not christ like at all it was twisted and it was poisonous uh, maybe you 've had friendships or dating relationships that were Poisonous, and there were not boundaries, there was abuse, there were behaviors that you had questioning your own sanity. And maybe you think about your marriage, and you think, my marriage is toxic right now, and before you hit the eject button, we want you to jump in to re-engage on Wednesday nights at 6 and, and, and address issues in your marriage. You still can jump in this Wednesday. Um, but if you think about characteristic of toxic, characteristics of toxic relationships, uh, some characteristics are control manipulation lies addiction abuse returning to something over and over even though I know it's not going to satisfy but I I don't think I deserve any better and I'm starting here today because I believe every Christ, every person excuse me I believe every person either is in or has been in a toxic relationship with sin we think about sin and what sin does and how sin plays out in our lives um Sin is this thing, this, this, uh, this powerful force that keeps calling me back to it over and over and over and uses manipulation and temptation and control and uh, sometimes has us questioning our own sanity. And, and, and the reality is, until I face uh, my own sin, Jesus calls that taking the log out of our own eye, until I face and address my own toxicity... Uh, I cannot clearly navigate to help anybody else with theirs. Um, so however your sin struggle manifests today, whether it's some kind of sexual brokenness or it's materialism or it's uh, racism or it's greed or it's a gossip or it's some addiction, whatever that thing is you keep going back to over and over and over again because you think this time it's going to deliver something it's never delivered before, uh, whatever that thing is you love and you've set your heart on, That it's not God, but you've allowed it to be God. Um, However that manifests for you today, we want to talk about the way we can be delivered from that. And God's grace, the grace of God, is God's answer to our toxic relationship with sin. Grace is God's answer to our toxic relationship with sin. This uh, idea of going back into something toxic was really manifested for Sondra and I when we uh, used to work in Romania with young ladies rescued from sex trafficking and, and there was a type of trafficker called a lover boy who would come along and, and instead of strong-arming a young lady, he would find a vulnerable young lady and he would lavish her with love and with gifts and affection and then he would just increasingly get her to do things that she knew were wrong but he would, he would have her... Uh, uh, addicted to him and addicted to drugs and the hook would be set and then she would find herself in a situation that was just so broken. And, 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 and uh, we had the opportunity to be part of rescuing some of these young ladies and, and seeing them receive uh, uh, counseling and, and a healthy place to live and come to know the Lord. But what we saw happen several times over was that the lover boy would track down this young lady. He would find a way to communicate with her. He would, he would, he would get a message to her. And even though she knew he would abuse her, she would leave everything she had, and she would go back to him. And that's kind of what sin does to you. It's what sin does to me. It makes these promises that it can't deliver. And and, and God's answer to the power of sin in our lives is grace. So before we dive into Romans 6, I want to look at the end of Romans chapter 5, where Paul talks about these two different Zip codes that we can live in. He says in in, in Romans five twenty. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. We're going to talk about the law more next week in chapter seven. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded, superabounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And and Paul is going to lay out for us that there's two different zip codes we can live in. You either can live in the land of sin or you can live in the land of grace. Your zip code is either in sin land or it is in grace land. All right? And you're Elvis, okay? But what we cannot do is simultaneously try to live in sin land and grace land at the same time. The grace of God is means that you live in a new land the grace of God means that you have a new Lord and the grace of God means that you have a new life And so as we unpack these next few verses these the the first half of Romans 6 is about the new status you have in Christ it's in the indicative mood that means Paul's describing what is your status in Christ. In the second half of Romans 6, he's going to shift to the imperative mood. In other words, he's going to say, here's what you are to do because of what is. Okay, so he starts off with saying, this is who you are in Christ. And then he's going to say, because of who you are in Christ, this is how you are to live. So let's, uh, let's look at the new land that we have uh, by grace. Chapter 6, verse 1. What will we say to these things? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So people have been asking this question for thousands of years. It's this idea of, well, if God's if going God's to forgive me anyway, I mean, isn't it kind of God's job to forgive me? So what's the point of changing? we ever have that kind of thought? Uh, should, why should I change? can I just ask forgiveness for it later? And that's the idea that Paul's getting at here of, of, should we just sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means, may it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So just like we we were buried with Christ in baptism, we might rise and walk in newness of life. And so... Dallas Willard, a, a thinker and an author that I, that I enjoy reading a lot, has meant so much to me. He he wrote years ago about a bumper sticker that said, "Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven." And that bumper sticker is half true. Christians certainly are not. I'm a little bit loud, Logan. There's a there's a buzz back there. Um, there there's a, the Christians definitely are not perfect. We know this, but. Let's not say that we're just forgiven. I mean, we, grace means we celebrate forgiveness. We, we are forgiven in Christ. But to say that I'm just forgiven kind of lends itself to the idea that I'm going to stay the way I am. And God's grace doesn't mean we stay the way we are because God's grace is his power to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so um, Willard talks about this idea of vampire Christianity. Vampire Christianity says to Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please. Not so much that it changes me, but just enough to know that I'm going to heaven. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to be your student. I really don't want to have anything to do with you. I'll see you after I die. That resembles nothing of the New Testament. That's nothing uh, of resembling the Jesus who said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Um, God's grace accepts us the way we are. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Are we alive today? Two people are alive. I'm so glad. Is anybody else alive today? Lord. All right, God's grace accepts us, and that's good news. If it wasn't for God's accepting grace, I mean, none of us would have a chance at being, res- being rescued, but that's the second thing that God's grace does. God's grace rescues us. If somebody, if a first responder walks into a burning building and I'm inside and there's rubble on me and he starts to move away the rubble and I say, hey, stop, what are you doing? I just want you to accept me the way I am. That wouldn't make any sense to him. But there's people in this room right now that are fighting against God's rescue in the name of acceptance. We go through periods of our life where we are saying, I want you to accept me, but I don't want to be rescued. And that is not the grace of God. God's grace accepts us where we are. God's grace rescues us from wherever we are. And then God's grace, transforms us into something that only God could imagine. And you take that acceptance, rescue, transformation. That spells, I love acronyms, that spells art. And when we see God's grace for what it really is, his accepting, his rescuing, his transforming grace, your life becomes a work of art for all to see. Paul says you used to live in sin land. That's not your zip code anymore. That's not where you live anymore. If you know Jesus, you live in grace land now. Sin does not rule anymore. Sin can't be your master anymore. Uh, What if they made a sequel to the prodigal son story? What if Jesus told the sequel? You remember the prodigal son story where he, he took half of his father's estate, he went and blew it all, and then he said, man, I wish I could go back home and just be my father's servant. He, he returns home, and while he's still a long ways off, his father sees him coming and, and, and lifts up his robe and runs and, and greets his son, throws a party for him and welcomes him home. What if in the what if Jesus made a sequel of that, and this Prodigal Son 2, uh, still prodigal, okay? And, 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 the, and, and Prodigal Son 2, the, the son says, you know what, that was pretty fun when I left and blew all my dad's stuff, and then I came back and he threw a party. I think I'm going to do that again. Like, if that was a movie, you would be screaming at your TV set, like, no, don't do it. Don't you get it? that His love is supposed to transform you. It's supposed to change you. We don't just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I, I love dogs. I'm a dog person, but can we be honest enough to say that dogs do some really disgusting things? Like, you'll be walking your dog somewhere, there's like a rotten skunk somewhere, he's like, mmm, let me just roll all over this. Dogs do some gross things. And one of the grossest things that dogs do is like, if you vomit somewhere, like... Like, you vomit, and you want to get away from your vomit as fast as you can, but a dog sees vomit, and he's like, don't mind if I do, you know? And uh, he just goes after it, okay? He's like, hmm. And, 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 and Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 21-22, that when we have come to know the Lord, and then we return to sin, verse 22 says, the do- it's like the dog that returns to its own vomit. You know, when you see somebody else's sin, their sin looks like vomit to you. But so often when we look at our own sin, it looks like a meal. And uh, Peter says that when, when you've been delivered out of that and you've experienced the grace of God, then to go back to be ruled by sin is like a dog returning to its vomit if our zip code in Christ has changed, you've trusted Jesus, you've gone from living in sin land, and now you live under the rule of grace, but sin will still call you. Sin will still tempt you. There will be times that sin will still look good, but and, and there's going to be times that you fail. All of that happens. But what Paul says cannot happen is if you know Jesus, sin cannot rule your life anymore. It's like imagine a... Uh, a slave in the, in, in the uh, Civil War days, and, and, and after the Civil War, the slave master comes and, and tries to start bossing the slave around. The slave just picks him up and throws him out of his house and says, I don't answer to you anymore. And you know, sin has been punking you long enough. Sin has been, has been tempting us and ruling in our lives. And Paul says, if you know Jesus, it doesn't have to anymore. It doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean sin's not going to look good sometimes, but it cannot rule If grace rules in our lives. Uh, Otherwise, he says it's like a dog going back to its own vomit. And, And the symbol that we have that reminds us, you know, because we get hazy. The symbol that we have that reminds us of where our zip code is, Paul says, that symbol is baptism. He says in verse... Uh, Three. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says that baptism is this picture of what God does in your heart when you place your trust in Jesus. And when you trust Jesus, it's like God takes you and he pulls you 2,000 years back in time and you're nailed to the cross with Jesus and then you go in the tomb with Jesus and then you rise again with Jesus and it's not the same you anymore. And when you got baptized, baptized when you pass through those waters that was a physical image that you can hold on to when you start to wonder what your zip code is what land you live in and baptism uh, reminds Paul I believe of the story of the exodus if you remember the exodus story the people of Israel were in a toxic relationship with Pharaoh and he kept making them do all this crazy stuff and they were slaves And finally they get released, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, and the people of Israel have the Red Sea behind them, and Pharaoh in front of them, and then God does this miraculous thing, and he opens up the waters, and Israel passes through, and the waters close behind them, and they had some hard days ahead, and there were times they wanted to go back to Egypt, but they couldn't go back to Egypt. Why couldn't they go back to Egypt? Because they passed through the waters. And, and, and the way was shut behind them. And Paul is saying, when you passed through baptism, you went through the water and you came out on the other side and you don't live where you used to live anymore. And so that old land is going to call your name, but you can't go back and live there anymore because you've been baptized. Grace means you live in a new land, grace means you have a new Lord. Let's pick up in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. He's talking this idea of going on sinning. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you, to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness so paul uh is really this is the inspiration of bob dylan's song you gotta serve somebody i showed this song this video to my kids yesterday on youtube they were not impressed with bob dylan or with the song whatsoever but he said you gotta serve somebody might be the devil might be the lord but everybody's gonna serve somebody and and paul is saying here that everybody is a slave of something and you're a slave of the power that you obey and if sin is ruling our lives Whatever that sin looks like, if it's a respectable looking sin or an unrespectable sin, and we're a slave to sin. But if we come to Jesus, we become a slave to Jesus. And Paul believes that freedom isn't found in doing whatever I want to do all the time. Freedom is found in losing my rights to Jesus. He believes that the path of freedom is is found in surrendering my life to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm not calling the shots anymore. Paul opened this letter by calling himself a slave of Christ. I tend to think, you tend to think that freedom means, this is America, right? Freedom means I do whatever I want to do. And so I can get out on the highway, and Jeff, I'm not really going to do this, but I can get out on the highway, get in the wrong lane, drive 90 miles an hour on the wrong side of the highway. Am I going to be free for long I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to meet the wages of my sin pretty quickly. But there's this relationship between freedom and discipline. You know, I dropped out of piano lessons when I was third grade because I thought I was cool, and uh, little did I know, I was very far from being cool anyway, so piano would have helped not hurt my status, but I dropped out. So I'm not free. I can, I'm free to play Skip to my loo. That's as free as it gets. Sonda stuck with it, Brenda stuck with it, Janice stuck with it, my friend Justin stuck with guitar, Kellen stuck with guitar. These people are free to play whatever they want to play. I quit, so I'm not free to do anything. These guys that, that, that walked the walk and were disciplined and practiced, now that discipline has led to freedom. The thing about walking with Christ is if I pursue freedom And I understand it as just doing what I want to do all the time. That leads to death. But taking up my cross daily and following Jesus, that actually leads by the power of God's Spirit. That leads to the freedom of being able to follow Him in a new kind of way. Grace means you live in a new land. Grace means you have a new Lord. And finally, grace means you have a new life. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and it's end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, some of us work so hard to sin and some of us work so hard to justify our sin whether it's pride or sexual brokenness or gossip or whatever it is, we work so hard to justify that our sin, if we just applied some of that energy to reaching the world for Jesus, there'd be no lost people in town. He says, you you, you used to be free in regard to righteousness, but now, he says, the wages of sin is death. You work all your life, and if sin is your master, the payment at the end of it is death says the alternative is this free gift of eternal life that comes through a relationship with Jesus. And, and yeah, that, that means heaven forever, yes. But it also means an eternal kind of life now. We're familiar with the question, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? And that's an important question. But we also need to be familiar with the question, if I, if I live tomorrow, if I were to live tomorrow, who's my master If I live tomorrow, what's my life going to look like? And to know Jesus doesn't mean that uh, you never are tempted. It doesn't mean you never fail. But it means sin's not your boss anymore. It means you're not ruled by sin anymore. You're progressively coming to be ruled more and more and more by Jesus. And you're experiencing this eternal kind of life. You know, something changes at salvation. Your zip code changes. And then that change is implemented for the rest of your life as you abide in Christ. So Paul gives us two action steps and one of those action steps is in verse 11. He says, reckon yourself. Verse 11, consider yourself or reckon yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. So you must consider yourself, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Back in chapter four, we read that Abram trusted God and God reckoned that faith as righteousness. We're told that when you trust Jesus, God reckons or considers you no longer an outsider with God, but now you're right with God, you're part of God's people. And now he tells us to reckon ourselves, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This isn't Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live looking in the mirror saying, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Paul's not saying, use a lot of positive thinking and say this, that you're dead to sin and alive to God until it becomes magically true. He's saying, no, if you know Jesus, this is true. You are dead to sin, and you are alive to God. And so reckon every day, reckon, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, no matter how it feels no matter how it looks, you speak God's truth until your life lines up with God's truth. And the second, um, well, well the, 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 uh, going along with that, I don't know if you watched the new Lion King movie. If you haven't watched the new Lion King movie, I'm assuming it's a lot like the old Lion King movie. And, and in the in both Lion King movies, um, there's, a, there's a season where Simba, he's wandered far from home, right? He's hanging out with the weird animals and uh, Timon and Pumbaa and... Um, and he's Hakuna Matata and all that stuff and then he has this vision of his father Mufasa and Mufasa says you have forgotten who you are and you have forgotten me. There's so much truth in this because we easily forget who God says we are and when we forget who God says we are we forget our father and so Mufasa tells Simba remember and that's kind of the idea that Paul is getting at here daily we have to Sit before the Lord and remember who does Jesus say I am. He says, if I know Jesus, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ. Second thing, verse 19, he says, present your body. Present your body. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, no, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You know, your brain, your mind, your heart, our hands, our feet, our bodies. God, today, I surrender this to you. I present this to you. I offer this to you as a tool, not for evil, but for you. Grace is God's answer to our toxic relationship with sin. So as we close up, we've been every, every Sunday talking about who's your one. I've been asking that question, who's your one? I'm not talking about the person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. I'm talking about uh, who's the person that you're praying for that they would come to know Jesus. Who's that person you're intentionally sending a text message to or having coffee with or encouraging, praying for, sharing the gospel with? Who's your one? I don't know if you know of a, of a man named Tom Terrence, but Thomas Terrence um, was one of the most dangerous men in Mississippi in the 1960s. Uh, he was a white supremacist. He was a member of the KKK. And he had this deranged idea that he was fighting for God by uh, harming uh, black people and other minorities. And one um, evening, he and a friend went to murder a Jewish man, and they were stopped by FBI agents. And Thomas Terrence was shot four times at close range by shotguns. Wasn't supposed to live, but he did live, and then he got committed to 30 years in the penitentiary, and then he escaped, and then he got thrown in solitary confinement. And Thomas Terrence, little did he know, but he was somebody's one. There was a group of ladies that prayed for Thomas Terence every day. And he began to read the gospel because he had to read something. And he moved from having the surface level thought of... Because if you would have asked him, he would have said he's going to heaven when he died. He thought he was working for God all this time. But something changed. He said, A divine and supernatural light imparted to the soul my... Many sins began flooding the mind, and with them conviction, repentance, tears of confession. One night I knelt on the floor of my cell, prayed a simple prayer to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, offering my life to him if he wanted. It felt like a thousand pounds had been lifted from my shoulder. Something changed inside of me, and I haven't been the same since. I left the road of easy religion that was leading me to destruction, and I stepped onto the narrow path that leads to life. Thomas Terrence after serving a few years, uh, ended up going on and getting his master's degree and then his doctorate degree, and ended up being the pastor of a multiracial church and a champion for racial reconciliation. That's what the gospel does. He didn't. He didn't say I had all these warm feelings and I kept on being a white supremacist. No, his sin was put away. It, that was the old, and now he's new. He was somebody's one. Someone was praying for him and he has impacted countless of people for the gospel. So who is your one? Go big, man. Who's the person you think is the least likely person to come to know Christ? I was somebody's one. You were Jesus's one. And he left heaven for you. And his love was manifested in that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. His grace, the man's coming up. What his grace does, is it accepts us. It rescues us. It transforms us. Making your life a work of art. And so as we, as we prepare to close out, who's your one? Pray for your one. Take an action step with your one today. But do you know Jesus? Are you like Tom Terrence and and, and you've been on this easy road of just kind of religion that I'd like to go to heaven please but I don't want to change? Have you been a vampire Christian? Or can you say with Paul, I am dead to sin and alive to God.